to Adulthood Made Easy, a podcast from Real Simple Magazine that will not only help you navigate real life, but win it real life. I'm your host, Sam Zabel. So many of us want to know, how do we reinvent ourselves? How do we pick a new path? How do we choose something new? How do we start fresh? And given that we're getting into the holiday season, which means New Year's is inevitably around the corner, I thought I would talk about that idea of reinvention today. Now, not many of us have a similar struggle maybe with reinvention as my guest today. And that's because my guest is Mara Wilson, who you probably know for her roles in Miracle on 34th Street, Mrs. Doubtfire, and of course, Matilda, a movie I watched again and again and again growing up and last week. But what Mara is now is a wonderful, talented, interesting author of a new book, Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame. And actually, if you go to her Wikipedia page, it won't say actress known for Matilda, it will say American playwright. So let's talk to Mara today about how she's gone through that reinvention process and what it's like to grow up and go through all these changes in the public eye, something that thankfully not all of us have to do. So welcome, Mara. Thank you so much for having me. Mara's sitting across from me in the studio right now. All of our producers just had their moment of like, oh my gosh, she's here. It's so exciting to meet her. (laughs) Um, So I'm really excited to talk to you today. And like I said, your book is out. It's a delight to read. You are a fantastic writer. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, you really I mean she really is. It's it's so funny because I we have to we have to say that many of us know you from your roles as a child and yeah. we were talking about you were so cute and you're so adorable and and um I mean, reading this is just, it's fascinating to hear how someone that you associated so much with when you were younger has grown up just like you, has gone through so many of the same issues that you might struggle with. I mean, it's its fascinating to read. Well, yeah, I think that that's what I wanted to get across was that I, you know, I, even when I was famous, I always felt normal. Or if I didn't feel normal, I felt, you know, I felt like a weirdo. Right. <laughs> I felt out of place. And this is a very common feeling. Right. You know, it's it's very, very common to feel like you were the odd one out. Right. Uh, which is ironic. You know, it's 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 uh, it's very common to feel isolated, to feel on the outside. Right. So uh, we're all alone together. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and it feels good. And yeah. And I think sometimes when I read you know, memoirs from from really well-known actresses or writers or things like that, it, it comes across as really, I can't re- I can't relate to that at all. But you had parents who kept you pretty grounded. Um, You say something in there about if you ever said you're the greatest, your mom would come back and say, no, you're not. Like, yeah. Come back down to earth. <laughs> um, do you think yeah. that helped as you grew and changed your purposes and your paths that you always were kind of told that you're just like everyone else. Definitely. Yeah, that definitely You can't helped. move things with your mind. It's, <laughs> it definitely did help. I think that, that that helped me sort of manage my expectations a little bit more. And I think that I, you know, it's it's uh, like I think it's it's a good idea to raise your children like they're middle class children. You know, if mm-hmm. you're even even if you're wealthy, you know, I think that that's that's about uh that's about what you should do. Mm-hmm. It's like the study they did with the three monkeys where like some didn't do well at all because they had nothing. Some only had a little bit and were great. And those who had the most were as fine as the ones who just had a little bit. You know, it's kind right. of like that, like no matter what. Uh, it's it's I think that that's um, and I think that's kind of what my parents tried to do. Like I had money, but it was all theoretical money. Mm-hmm. And they like they talked about, you know, my brother's track meets and, you know, my brother played guitar and my sister's art classes and dance recitals the same way they talked about my audition for, you know, a Sandra Bullock movie. Mm-hmm. It was it was just something that we did. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, you know, that might have made it a little bit easier for me to transition out of it because it was sort of seen as this thing that 
I didn't have to do forever. But I think it was also, I think I took that to an extreme. I, I'm given to extremes myself. I'm, <laughs> you know, I, I'm a perfectionist. I, I can tend to be a little all or nothing. So I think that I I thought, okay, well, nobody cares about me and nobody, you know, I, I'm not famous. Nobody cares, you know. So when people were coming up to me and asking me for autographs, I was like, why are they bothering me? Right. I didn't understand. You know, I couldn't take pride in it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, was hard. But I think that that was just something that I probably would have done anyway. I, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand, you, were very you know. young. Like you were, I mean, what's funny to me is when I was six and five, you know, yeah. when I was your age, when you were playing all these fantastic roles, I was thinking in my head, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I was thinking about the jobs I wanted to have. I want to be a teacher. Yeah. I want to be a princess. I want to be yeah. Matilda. I really did. When I grew up, I was like, when I grow up, I'm going to move things with my mind. <laughs> so many people have told me uh, yeah. that. It's amazing. Yeah. So what is it? What What was it like to have kind of a dream job. I don't know if you would have considered it a dream job, but at six years old, you were already, you had already become something. That I think is what's really interesting. Like when I was six, I wasn't anything yet except kind of irritating, (laughs) you know, pretty short. I think a picky eater. I think I took pride in it at first. I think it was a little exciting for me. Working on Doubtfire, I think my parents saw it as as an experience for me. It was kind of like summer camp, you know, and we we took photos, you know, and we um, Rob Williams gave me a Polaroid camera or maybe it was Sally Field who gave me the Polaroid camera. One of them gave me a Polaroid camera and I took pictures mm-hmm. and we we, uh, you know, we kept a little scrapbook of all of them. And it was it was nice. It was fun. It was this cool, fun adventure that our family was going on. And then after that, it, it, you know, I think there were some times when it was really fun and it was really exciting. There were other times that it felt kind of tedious, mm-hmm. but it was something that I, I did. I think that after my mother died, I was kind of sick of it. I thought, okay, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. But at the same time, I was terrified to leave it mm-hmm. because it was a constant in my life. It was the one thing in my life that hadn't changed. Mm-hmm. It was the thing that I the thing that I did, it defined who I was, right. you know, and and so I I did keep acting even when I probably shouldn't have. And uh, and I, I took some solace in it. But but at the same time, I, I wasn't that happy with it anymore. And then and then as I got older, I sort of uh, I, I just I did not look like a kid who should be in Hollywood anymore. And I was self-sabotaging and I was insecure and I was just all these things that an actor shouldn't be. Right. And uh, and that's when, you know, the mutual breakup happened. You're growing up and it's such an exaggerated period. So how did it affect that middle stage of your life where you're starting to really develop your own identity? I think when you become a teenager, you start to decide this is what I like, this is what I don't like. But you're coming from a place where so much of that has been decided for you. People have decided that you're the yeah. cute one. People have decided that you, you know, you must be smart because you yeah. played Matilda. Yeah. How did that affect, you know, the early way that you formed your identity? I would say it was a little bit like when I went to, you know, the public middle school and public high school that I went to uh, until I transferred to an art school my junior year of high school. And everybody would always say, oh, you're another Wilson kid Mm because I had three older brothers and Mm -hmm. they were known as being very smart, smart asses. (laughs) Uh, And so it was like, oh, another Wilson kid. And that's kind of what it felt like when people would call me Matilda. It was like, I was living in her shadow, mm-hmm. this this person who wasn't an actual real person. Mm-hmm. So it was hard. I wanted to grow up, but everybody kept seeing me as younger. I, I thought just there was nothing better to, than to grow up. I thought that I would have more freedom there because I felt so limited and so lost. And then I actually started to grow up and I, I, I sort of lost this power that I had. I thought that I would have more power and more control over my life because I felt very out of control and very powerless. 
I think especially after my mother died, I thought that I would have more power and control over my life when I grew up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you completely lose that in puberty, especially when your oh, job yeah. your job is dependent upon you being a cute little kid. Right. So I, I lost that and I felt completely unmoored and I was lost and I was angry for for a lot of years. I, you know, I would say through high school and and even through college and it it took me a very long time. And I mean, there was, yeah, there was other stuff going on, too. There was my mother's death. There was my my OCD. There was all kinds of other things going on at the time. But but yeah, I think that rejection was hard for me. It just feels like in a certain way, so many of the things you're talking about, we talk about on this show happening in our early 20s as we graduate college. And it happened yeah. so much earlier for you. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I remember uh, I remember Lucy, who was my who was sort of a nanny on a movie I did talking to me when I was like 12 and she she was British and she said, you know, you're sort of going through like a 19 year old thing right now. Yeah. <laughs> and I was are. like, yeah, I and I was I totally was. I was going through this. I don't know who I am. And th- I'm, of course, the fun thing was I got to go through that again after I graduated college and got to have my, you know, quarter life crisis where I was 25 when I was 25. And I, you know, broke down crying in the middle of a comedy club after my boyfriend broke up with me. And See, it happens to everyone. See, this is why it I love this show. Everyone. Everyone's yeah. had a day where they've collapsed in tears, don't know what they want to do yeah. with their life. And it yeah. just I know I'm so sorry for you, but it feels amazing. No, it's no, I know. I mean, I mean, (laughs) I'm sure I'm not the only person to have burst into tears at the People's Improv Theater. Um, (laughs) And yeah, and and it was and I think and after that was actually when I started using a public Twitter account and putting Mm -hmm. myself out there. Because I, I felt sort of like, you know, I, I want to be a writer, but I'm so scared. I don't know if I can really trust this. And eventually I was like, OK, well, what do I have to lose? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so I, I did that. And and I've had there have been difficult things, but there have been so many wonderful things. So your the subtitle of your book is Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame. Yeah. So what does it feel like for you to become a purposeful writer and play right now um, and have this path that you're sort of choosing for yourself compared to the one that you had when you were younger that you're trying to outgrow? It feels it feels better. I mean, I think that and I think this is also just sort of a personality thing. I think that if you are a laid back person who is consistently okay with themselves and you have no shred of neuroses, you know, you have you have nothing like that, you'll be a great actor. Mm-hmm. Uh I am not like that. <laughs> yeah, I I think I'm like, that, what is that like. Yeah, exactly. I I mean, I in in theater school they used to call me cerebral, and they didn't mean it as a compliment. They just meant that I was stuck in my head. But the thing is, with acting, you have to be good at making decisions. You have to be good at being in the moment. You have to be good at embarrassing yourself in front of people. You have to be okay with being vulnerable, and you need to be good at some, you know ceding some control. And I have none of those qualities. Right. <laughs> so writing, it feels it feels good because it's just me sharing. And I'm I mean, despite all my despite all my, you know, being stuck in my head, I, I do think that I'm, you know, an extroverted person. I've always maybe just because I, I grew up with four siblings and I, you know, and I went to boarding school and I went to like I've, I've always been surrounded by people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, I mean, yes, of course, I appreciate just like being at home with my cats watching, you know, FX shows or whatever. But like, Mm -hmm. I think that I like that I like that when I write, it's 
it's my worlds, it's my words, it's my connection. It's all under my control. I mean, eventually you have to give it over to an editor or somebody. And I was lucky, like with my editor, Lindsay Schwari, I I trusted her. Mm-hmm. And I don't trust a lot of people right away, which right. Uh, is common of people who grew up in Hollywood, I'm I assuming. Can, I was just going to say that yeah. doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> but I trusted her. I, I definitely trusted her and I trusted my agent, uh, Alyssa Rubin, uh, just implicitly. I felt... I, it really did feel like, okay, this is somebody who understands me. This mm-hmm. is somebody who speaks my language both times. So, uh, so that, but, but it, it did feel very much like I am just, I am, I am having this, you know, it's this solitary kind of world and you're, that you're creating when you're writing. But also the thing is when you're writing, you're reaching out. It's mm-hmm. inherently communicative. I think I see a lot of writing now. On the internet, that's just kind of like writing to write to hear. It's almost like the worst version of hearing yourself talk. It really is, but because, the yeah, because it's we. I was just talking about this with my friends the other day, where yeah. I was like, everything doesn't have to be a think piece. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. just leave that alone. Someone, I can't remember why we were talking about it, but it was something to that effect. Where I was like, you don't have to write something about like why chairs are the problem with America. Like yeah, it's okay. Well, leave it. <laughs> the thing is, and and I and I'm you know, and I'm I'm somebody who can be very very like. I think I used to be as I'm getting older and I'm not that old, but I feel old. (laughs) Um, But I used to I used to be like the kind of person who just got angry over the stupidest things Mm -hmm. like, you know. Like they don't have one percent milk, you know. <laughs> Only skim and two percent. That was the kind. So of, I, I don't even like milk. I don't know that that was a bad example. Living but you in know. New York, though, can sometimes do that too. Oh, where it you're totally just like, does. Where if you miss the crosswalk totally by one does. second, it's yeah. irrational anger. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, it's fine. I mean, it's really going to change in fifteen seconds. Yeah, like, it's okay. I mean, I have kicked the Q train before, <laughs> uh, but there's, but there's, yeah, there's, there's things like that. But what I've tried to tell myself now, like I even made a flowchart and I tweeted this a few, a few weeks ago. It was like, should I rage about it? Does it hurt anybody? No. Then don't rage. Right. Does it hurt anybody? You know, does it hurt anybody? Yes. Rage away. Right. You know, and and that's pretty much what I think. Like, I there are think pieces on like, I like this or I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is it actively harming somebody? I mean, if it's, you know, if it's if it's if, if it's actively harming somebody, that's one thing. But if it's just I don't like this, like nobody cares. Right. And that's write it in your diary. Yeah, that's the thing. And I think that we're all kind of we're all kind of in, you know, into getting that feedback into that, you know, oh, this is, you know, these people care what I think. And like I try really hard when I'm on Twitter to appeal to an audience like Mm -hmm. I try to craft things and I try to retweet things that people will find interesting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not just going to, you know, to tweet like I had dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're going to do, at least say like I made dinner and this is the recipe, right? <laughs> or I made dinner and you know, and then and then you know, just just I don't know something something interesting. Uh, I made dinner and then I had dinner with friends and it was really weird. You know, yeah. something happened. It's it's you've got to I think I don't know. There's there's the saying that I've been hearing a lot more is uh, typing is not writing. And I think that and that's I think something your book does a really good job of, of explaining that you reread some of these memoirs that are just like, I'm just here to write because, you know, my name. So you should be interested in everything I well, have to say. The thing that my pet peeve in in memoirs is and this is even I found this even in, in memoirs that I really like. Sometimes it'll be like it'll be like, well, I got my advance. So here we go. Right. All right. I procrastinated writing this for so long. Oh, they're always here we they, go. Oh, there's always the chapter about like I hate writing a book. I'm like, yeah. And yet there are 300 pages. Well, here. Cheryl, like Cheryl Strait said, uh, says that yeah, writing is hard, but coal mining is harder. You know, 
It's a good quote. Yeah, it is great. It is great. I um I like tweeted that once and somebody said Cheryl Strayed said that first and I was like, of course she did. Yeah. <laughs> of course she she got it perfectly right the first time like, you know. I um but I thanked her for it because that really is an amazing quote. And we teased about we teased it a little bit before so I want to get a little more into it. Yeah. The idea of your Hollywood breakup because yeah. Again, as I said before, everything you've experienced is sort of taking all these like adulthood crises and maximizing them because you had to do it in the public eye and you had to you came from such a drastically different childhood. But the idea of of taking something that previously was good to you, Mm -hmm. that you thought maybe you had a really big future and took up a big portion of your life and then having to decide this isn't right for me. I mean, that's scary and such a tough decision to me. And I'm just curious about if you could talk a little bit about that breakup. I think the I think the one thing that kind of kept me going is that I had other things that I was interested in. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that, you know, that child actors really need. They need to have other things. This can't be their entire life. Mm -hmm. They need to have normal friends. They need to have they should also have friends who are also actors. Mm-hmm. They should, you know, they should play sports. They should play. And I think of, you know, a lot of the actors that I knew growing up, growing up who turned out all right, you know, a lot of right. the child actors that I know, you know, like uh, like Jonathan Lipnicki was in Jerry, Jerry Maguire. He, you know, he still does stuff and he's a nice guy. And that's because he like had a normal bar mitzvah at their rec center and like <laughs> played basketball and went swimming. And like Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton was super into like, was always really into writing and like he and his wife do like animal rescue and, you know, right. play board games and all kinds of nerdy things. And I mean, I've never met Natalie Portman, but, you know, she was interested she in microfinance. Super normal. Yeah. She was interested in microfinance, you know, she was interested in these kinds of things. She she went to Harvard, she studied quietly. And that's kind of, that's that's what you need to do. And I think there was always a part of me that was like, I don't know if I actually want to always be an actor. I knew I wanted to write. I always knew I wanted to write. I wasn't sure if I would do both, if I would only be a writer, if I would give up acting entirely, if I would try to do the Jodie Foster thing and act and direct and, mm-hmm. you know, and write. I didn't really know what I was going to do. And people would bring up Jodie Foster and Ron Howard in front of me and say, you know, they're doing other stuff. But I remember when I was very young, all I wanted to do was write stories. And in fact, the reason that I started acting was because I made up stories and acted them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was I was just I was a drama nerd from birth. I really was. Mm-hmm. I was raised on original cast albums. And then my <laughs> and then great. My, I love yeah, that line. Yeah, I really I was, was. Raised on original cast. I albums. really was. I kind of was as well. We, yeah. had, we had a lot of those in the car on rotation until my dad was like, all right. Yeah, it's enough. It's enough yeah. of like full chorus finales. Yeah, totally. My <laughs> but and I remember also my father saying to me when, you know, when I was getting to be a little older, and my father is the kind of person who doesn't say things outright. He he kind of hints at things mm-hmm. and hopes that you're, you know, I'll be smart enough to take the hint. And I don't mm-hmm. know if I was at that age, but he always said to me, you know, nobody's an actress forever. Mm-hmm. You know, very few people are just actresses forever. They move into producing, they move into directing, they move into writing, they move into something else. You know, if they're if they're lucky and they age well, they do makeup ads, they do modeling, you mm-hmm. know. He'd say, like, look at, you know, people like um I don't know, you'd see you'd see like Melanie Griffith or uh or Andy McDowell or somebody in like a you know, in like a, a makeup commercial. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, people like that or, you know, the people are producing, they're doing these things. Acting is not the be all end all. Mm-hmm. And And I think that that was definitely something that I knew. And fortunately, I I already knew that I didn't want to act forever. Like, I don't know, or that I would be okay Mm -hmm. with it if I didn't. I think there were times, 
there were times when I, I just, I couldn't imagine my life without acting. But as I got older, they became fewer and fewer and, you know, they became few and far between. And I would have these like brief little flirtations, like after I graduated college and I didn't have a job because it was in the middle of the Great Recession. I I thought, OK, well, maybe I'll go back to acting. Mm -hmm. And I had this incredibly awkward meeting with an agent and I was like. I didn't know. I mean, I'd spent like my four years in college, like being a hermit, like spending time <laughs> with my boyfriend and like reading Carl Sagan books. Like that's all I did, you know, and and making and making experimental theater. That's yeah. what I did. I did. I made experimental theater. I uh, <laughs> I hung out with my boyfriend uh, and um, and yeah. And I and I like talked about Carl Sagan a lot. <laughs> um, four years in a nutshell. That'll be your next. That'll, yeah, that'll be right? your next book. Well, that's that's the reason I don't talk that much about NYU in here, because aside from like the nude drawing party that we all did as a tradition, you know, we drew each other nude. Like there wasn't that much that was, you know. But anyway, I um, I was I I like didn't know how to, you know, I didn't know how to sell myself as an actor. I barely knew how to dress. I didn't know how to do my makeup. So I showed up for this interview with an agent in like a black lace Forever 21 dress, a jean jacket and a fedora. <laughs> And granted, this is 2009, so the fedora wasn't as terrible back then. But like the the guy just like didn't even look at my he didn't even look at my resume. He just said, yeah, there's no acting out here. If you want to act at all, go to go to L.A. And the thing that he said also was that he had also studied at NYU as an actor and now uh. he was an agent. And I was like. That doesn't really bode well, does it? <laughs> Not but a great I, advertisement. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I, I went home and I felt rejected. But I was like, okay, but but also, do I want to be the person on the subway highlighting their lines again? Mm -hmm. I don't think I do. I mean, and and now people ask me a lot. They say, well, why aren't you acting? You could be acting. You should get back into acting. And I feel almost like. I don't know. I feel almost like I'm a mom addressing spoiled children. Like, you guys don't appreciate all the snarky, broodnut actresses you have. You know, <laughs> you already have Anna Kendrick and Aubrey Plaza. And, you know, you haven't played with Janine Garofalo in so long. Yeah. You know, come on, give her a chance. She's great. <laughs> she is great. She is the, yeah, I've I've seen her do stand-up so many times. I've met her. She's also a sweetheart. Really? Which is the funniest thing because she is this, like, uber-sarcastic, you know, archetype. But right. she's just nice. She's just she's just like a really nice person. It's so funny. Your peers and my peers are yeah. just very different. Oh, yeah. And even I, well, just you just named people that are yeah. kind of your, you know, you grew up in the same world as them. And yeah. I mean, my peers are like, do you know Janet or Mandy or or um, my friend Julia? Like, those are my peers. So, like, that's like, who I'm thinking. Like, uh like my friends from college. Oh, okay. All right. Well, no, these, <laughs> so aren't, these aren't my, like, I, well, I, that's not true. I mean, I knew, I, I did know, I did grow up knowing Hilary Duff and Mae Whitman. And, so when you uh, grow up knowing them and you see, and you're, this doesn't minimize anything of what's going on, but I, I think about myself and I'm looking on Instagram and Facebook and what people are doing and what jobs people have and, this, you know, what apartments yeah. people are living in. What does that feel like for you in your position and, and that? It was, need we all have to kind of compare ourselves or maybe you're, you don't have that need in which case tell me how you don't do that <laughs> no everybody does everybody does I think that the only thing you can do is think is is just remind yourself that you're you mm -hmm. that your experiences are completely your own and and it's I'm lucky with with actors out there because I think of like how many times Kristen Stewart got a, a part that I right. wanted but I didn't get and and how you know 
Which I is funny because you guys feel so different to me. We do but feel very different. Yeah. We're, we're, she's, I don't know. She's, she's different. Yeah. She, yeah. we, um, I think she's more of like the, the strong silent type and I'm more the like running her mouth off type. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but you know, but to, I guess to, uh, to Hollywood, we were all, you know, slightly tomboyish brunettes. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think of just like what her life has been and how miserable she seemed with the whole Twilight thing. And, and I, you know, I mean, she seems like a nice person. I don't know her personally. I've never met her, but like. I'm just like, geez, you know, well, I'm I'm glad I'm I'm glad in some ways. And perhaps it's, you know, the used grapes taste sour to you. But I think I'm just like, wow, I'm I'm glad I didn't have to live through that. Right. You know, and I'm still, you know, and I I, I like I'd met the Olsen twins a few times and like I remember when they were at NYU and I remember being like, God, I'm glad I, I feel like I dodged that bullet. Although also like I remember once, um, when I was having this moment, I remember when like Dakota Fanning was in a bunch of movies that I thought were really great and I was talking to one of my friends and I'm like, yeah, sometimes I feel like, you know, that could have been me in that. Mm -hmm. And he was like, "Okay, yeah, but like her first movie was I Am Sam and like her first big movie was and yours was Mrs. Doubtfire. Like, like she was a little more artistically inclined. And I'm like, that's true. I my parents, you know, my parents wanted me to like my parents wanted me to to be in kids movies, Mm -hmm. you know. And how do you now how do you look back on that time of your life? How do you feel? What parts of it do you take with you and what parts do you kind of hope to? I know that we there's a whole chapter on the C word and we want to leave the cute word behind. Uh, Well, you know, I've come to embrace cute, I think, as like, you know what? I'm five feet tall. If people want to say that I'm cute, like I'm going to take it as a compliment. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's if it's 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 not it doesn't seem inherently condescending to me anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think that. Yeah. But I think that it's it's um, especially when it's somebody cute saying it to me. They get it. Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of nice. Um, but there's, I think that I I really just have to be lucky. I have to or have to be. I think I really just have to be grateful and and remind myself that I was incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, every single day that you know I that I was able to go to a college that I would not have been able to afford that. I that I that I could buy an apartment that I got to meet, you know, Danny DeVito and Real Perlman and Sally Field and all of these just, you know, incredible, wonderful people mm-hmm. and Embeth and Pam Ferris and just and like you named your tooth fairy after Sally. Field. I did name my tooth fairy after Sally Field. It felt very we all named our tooth fairies in the I love like, that in our family. Yeah. Well, basically, my mom would use it as uh, as as and and it's funny because my brothers totally do this with their kids now too um we'd use it as an example to do like a writing lesson yeah you know so oh, we wrote letters and they had to oh yeah you had to write neatly and okay well you, had you to say please and thank you yeah and be really nice yes yeah, same well you went to you went to northwestern right and that's yes. where my parents went so yes. you know there's a there's a, a strong nerd connection there um but <laughs> okay. yeah we would we would <laughs> yeah uh my dad always said hail to purple hail to white um, those are NYU's colors too, so it works. There you um, go. But I, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just felt it. I, I named it after her because it just felt very, it felt very right. Sally was just a very sweet, you know, kind of, you know, down to earth maternal woman, and uh, and I was like. And and yeah, so I, I named it after I named my tooth fairy after her. That's such I feel like that's such an honor. Yeah. I don't think Sally I don't know if Sally ever knew. I remember mom saying, You should tell Sally that yeah. you did this. But yeah. I would have been so nervous. She was so nice though. She was I'm so sure. sweet. Yeah. So now you are a playwright and a writer and you're doing all these exciting things. So tell yeah. me about 
what that's like and what the unique struggles have been with becoming a writer and and pivoting that way? I think, I mean, I definitely have all the struggles that most writers do. I have the imposter syndrome. I have the having to make my own schedule, having to do these kinds of things. I mean, I have my computer with me now because I I went to a coffee shop before this and tried to get some writing done yeah. uh, in the middle of doing errands. You know, you have to do that. You have to carve out time for yourself uh, to to be able to do that. I think that a lot of it is trusting yourself. You know, a lot of it is trusting yourself. And I think for a long time, I wasn't sure if I did. And I was worried, very worried about what people would think of my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about it, I think, seems to resonate with people. And I think it might be that I'm um, I'm very honest. <laughs> I was, that's the word I was just thinking yeah. in my head was you're really no bullshit. I mean, you're really honest. Yeah. And I'm not I don't think I'm honest in a am just telling it like it is kind of unfiltered kind of way, which in in many ways, I think is just a kind of facade. I think that's a lot of bravado. But I I, I think I'm almost compulsively honest. I've always been very serious. I've always taken everything seriously. Um, I've I've always been bad at anything other than white lies. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know some people who can just like lie and make up stories just for fun. Mm-hmm. You know, you meet a stranger and you're just you'll just be like, oh, yeah, my dad's a producer or blah, 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 blah. You know, people I knew people who would do that. Yeah, I, I never would. I just didn't see any reason then, you know, to, to, I, I just felt like you should tell the truth. Uh, so that's, I think, something something I think that is uh, that that maybe drew people into it. And where do you see yourself focusing your attentions now? Because you've written for websites. You have your own yeah. website where you would start out writing. You have a book. It yeah. says playwright. Like what's the what's the avenue? Well, playwriting was really what I loved. Playwriting was was really, I think. And I think it's because of the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have to remember that I spent my life, well, first listening on uh, my parents and my mom, especially, who, you know, could talk for hours and my three older brothers and then listening in to people talking on film sets, you know, mm-hmm. all the grownups around me. So I, I spent most of my life eavesdropping. Uh, <laughs> and so I think that that's why playwriting felt felt natural to me because I, I live in dialogue. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to do more of that. I think that's probably going to translate into TV writing at some point. I, I know that I would definitely like to do that. And like, you know, all of my friends have pilots right now. But, you know, it is something that like and hopefully we'll all get produced. Um, it's something that. I I would I would like to do because I think that that's sort of the best way to do it now. I mean, I do think that doing stuff on stage is I don't know. It's it's always where my heart is, but it's mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to keep up, you right. know? It's definitely a hard thing to keep up. Um people were asking me as soon as I finished writing my book, they were like, "Hey, do you want to write about your life for this website?" and I was just so exhausted. Right. I mean, well, you <laughs> just have just thinking about like it. Yeah. 200 plus pages about your life. It was like it was like asking somebody who had just won a hot dog eating contest, "Hey, you want to go to Nathan's?" Like, I was just <laughs> that's like a hot dog, that's, that's a hot, a hot dog, dog place. place in New York. Yeah, like it's just it's it's just yeah, they're and oh, and they're fries. Um, but there's it, it was just like that. It was just like I was just like I I can't do this right now so I felt a little burned out on personal stories fortunately it's been a few months and I'm okay with talking about myself again yeah Uh, so yeah, that's, but there's also other avenues. I've, I've always loved graphic novels and, uh, like my sister and my best friends are always, have, are all visual artists. So that's definitely something I'm interested in. Um, I, I don't think I would make a great director, but perhaps someday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'm just happy writing. So really, you know, and I love writing comedy. I've loved writing for Reductress and, and Cracked and comedy websites. And so 
I guess we'll just see. Pretty much if people are willing to listen to me and read the stuff that I write, then I'm happy to write for them. Well, it's really exciting to watch someone and talk to someone who I've always admired and, and felt like had it all figured out. It's really exciting to talk to her and figure out that <laughs> she's kind of making her way and figuring it out and, and, is, yeah. and is saying things like, we'll have to see because yeah. you sound just like the inside of my head. Right. You sound I'm, a little calmer than the inside of my head, but. Oh, um, no, it's it's a it's a mess inside my own head. I've just <laughs> learned. I've just I just have a soothing voice. That's all. You do. You really do. <laughs> well, that's another thing I want to do. I, I want to keep doing voiceover. Yeah. I, I just did voiceover for uh, BoJack Horseman. Right. Oh, and it was so much fun. That's that's the only kind of acting I want to do because it's it's basically theater acting in a booth yeah yeah and, and you can so, do it in your pajamas that's that's an added plus too yeah. that's an added plus that's why i too. like podcasting yeah i had run in here like totally sweaty and gross totally from the subway and none of you would ever know yeah i i recorded some lines for bojack the day our family dog died oh gosh. and i went there and i was just sobbing uncontrollably and then i got in the booth and everything was fine right <laughs> but it's just like no it doesn't one has matter. to fix your makeup yeah right it didn't matter that i had like mascara streaks running down my face it's and great. you know well, yeah. you can you can listen for Mara on BoJack Horseman, or you can do what I recommend, which is buy Where Am I Now? True Stories of Girlhood and Accidental Fame, wherever books are sold, and we will all be eagerly waiting for what's next. Because like I said, you're a fabulous writer, and Thank it was you wonderful so to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Adulthood Made Easy. If you have questions or topics you'd like me to cover in the future, just tweet them to me at Sam Zabel and I'll add them to my list. I'd like to thank our editor, Tim Einenkel, and our producer, Jordan Bell. If you're enjoying the show, don't forget to subscribe and review in iTunes. I'm Sam Zabel and I'll see you next time. <laughs>